Chapter Thirty Nine of Laramie Holds the Range by Frank Spearman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter Thirty Nine Barb Makes a Surprising Alliance. By a happy chance, on the night of Laramie's great hour, Saudi and Lefevre returned from Medicine Bend. It was late when they arrived, into the early morning hours, in fact, and at the mountain house the bar was not only closed, but securely closed, barricaded against just such marauders. Even the night clerk had gone to bed. But this was less of an embarrassment, for the two adventurers, turning on the lights, took his pass-keys from the drawer, and opening the doors of one room after another in the face of a variety of protests, kept on till they found satisfactory quarters that seemed unoccupied. Quarters in which at least the beds were unoccupied. The hardy scouts slept late. They breakfasted late in what Saudi called the hotel ornery, and while they were reducing the visible supply of ham and eggs, Tennyson walked in on them to ask about complaints made at the office by indignant guests whose privacy had been invaded during the night. Rebuffed on this subject, all knowledge being disclaimed, Tennyson was called on for the story of events since the two had been away, and of these Laramie's escape from the canyon came first. Tennyson reported further, in confidence, Laramie's success with Kate. Had the news provided every man in the falling wall with a brand new wife, it could not have been more to the humor of Saudi and Lefevre. Saudi rose and stretched himself from the waist down to make sure his legs touched the floor. I've got to have a good cigar on that, he declared. Take away, Mabel, he nodded courteously to the waitress. Harry, we've had the dustiest trip I've ever seen in my life, he added, as with his companions he left the table. The old Agala Trail wasn't a marker to it. Why, the dust was a mile deep. My tonsils are plumb full of it yet. Not everyone in Sleepy Cat was so quick to credit the news that Kate Doubleday was going to marry Jim Laramie. The cattlemen sympathizers looked grumpy when approached on the subject. They preferred not to talk, but if taunted would retort with an intimidating oath. That show ain't over yet. Jim Laramie acts as if it was anyway, grumbled Belle, when the butcher told her what they were saying. In fact, all of Laramie's intimates were out of patience with him when he announced he was going to rebuild the cabin on his falling wall ranch and live there. Wait till this cattle fight is over, they would urge. It is over, he would retort, and heedless of their protests, he spent his time getting his building materials together. What do you want me to do? he demanded stirred at length by Bell's remonstrances against going back to the falling wall. I've got to live somewhere. Danger? Why, yes, maybe. But I can't keep dying every day on that account. Here in town, a man was run over just the other day by a railroad train. Kate said little either way. 
she heard all that bell could urge and held in her heart all the men said but when jim asked her what she wanted to do she told him simply whatever he wanted to do then bell would call her a ninny and laramie would kiss her and bell in disgust would disappear there came one morning the crowning sensation in the suspense of the situation barb doubleday drove into town in the buckboard headed his team into kitchen's barn to put up and gave mccalpin a cigar an earthquake where one had never been known could not have stirred the town more when mccalpin ran up street to the mountain house to be first with his news he was reviled as a vendor of stories calculated to start a shooting but mccalpin with a cigar in his mouth where no cigar except a free cigar was ever seen his face bursting red with import stuck to his guns he walked straight to the billiard-room bar and attracted attention by brusquely ordering his own drink this it was known always meant something serious when saudi saw the commotion about the barn boss he walked in and after listening began a stern cross-examination explain mccalpin echoed scornfully i don't explain no he wasn't drinking nor he wasn't crazy mccalpin took the burning cigar from his mouth that's a cigar he give me right there and a bum one barb never smoked a good one in his life you know that henry i don't explain i drink hold on he exclaimed as he emptied his glass with a single gulp he was looking across the street and pointing who's that over there coming out of the lumber yard with barb doubleday right now blanked if it ain't it's jim laramie that's who it is doubleday had in fact run into laramie in the lumber yard with nothing more than a greeting he opened his mind i want to talk with you jim he said bluntly where is kate not even the freedom of the bar fully established could hold mccalpin after he had seen laramie and doubleday walk out of the lumber yard and start down the main street together mccalpin had the reputation of having missed no important shooting in sleepy cat for years he had been witness in more than one inquest and did not mean to imperil his importance by slacking now as he hastened out to trail the long-day bitter enemies he was framing in his mind the preliminary answers for the coroner he would be compelled to testify he felt that the dead man had showed no sign of intoxication or excitement when he drove his team into the barn for in the circumstances the barn boss already figured barb as the inevitable victim thus ruminating he trailed the unsuspecting pair as far as bells at bells without sign of heated argument they knocked and entered the cottage together this left mccalpin across the street with nobody but the butcher to talk to while he listened intently for the first shot the fever was bolder he followed the two men unceremoniously to bell's porch and bluffed bell herself into admitting him to the living room 
Laramie had gone into the back part of the house to hunt up Kate. Barb alone sat in the rocking chair chewing an unlighted cigar. Lefevre greeted the big cattleman effusively. Barb's response was cold. He looked Lefevre over critically. What are you doing? he asked without warm interest in any possible answer. Buying a relinquishment now and again, Barb. Railroad man, eh? muttered Barb irrelevantly. No, no, I've quit that game. I've got a claim up near you. I'm going to try to live the life of a small but dishonest rancher, Barb. You ought to do well at that, eh? Why, yes and no. But I'm thinking if I can't figure out the game, some of my neighbors can help me catch on, what? Barb's retort, if he had one, to Lefevre's continued laugh was cut off by Laramie's entrance with Kate. John saw that he was de trop, that it was a family conference, and only extracting from Laramie a promise to see him about nothing whatever before leaving town, he made what he termed a graceful getaway. Kate and Laramie faced her father. Belle, too, was for going out. Doubleday stopped her. No secrets, Belle. Stay if you want to. All sat down. Kate was for a chair, but Laramie, domineering, made her sit with him on the sofa. Barb spoke first. This falling wall fight is off, he began briefly. Anyway, I quit on it. I've got to, Jim. The settlers there are in to stay, declared Barb philosophically. They've got to be recognized. The settlers in this instant meant Jim Laramie, since practically everyone else had been driven or frightened out. But all understood what was intended, for if the fighting ceased, the park would fill up. Since yesterday, Doubleday went on, I've found out something else. He was speaking directly to Laramie. That man Stone, he exclaimed, has been robbing me. The old man paused. No one made any comment. Abe Hawk had long ago told Laramie as much. He's been misbranding on me. Him and that rascally Van Horn have been selling my steers to the railroad camps on the reservation. I've got the evidence from some Indians that came over yesterday with the hides. Last night, continued the victim, coolly, I fired Stone. He went right over to Van Horn's. I told him that's where he belongs. I'm through with them both. Why don't you have them arrested, demanded Bell. I might yet, muttered Barb vaguely. Laramie held his peace, but even Kate realized that would never do. Jim and me has had our differences, added Barb, but they're ended. If you two get married, there ain't going to be any if, Barb, interposed Laramie. There's just going to be married, and married right off. Well, that's for you and the girl to say, but when you say it, you've got to have a house to live in. I met Jim, added her father, speaking now to Kate, over in the lumber yard this morning. When you get your house up, turn the bill in to me. 
Kate's kisses confused and stopped her father. Belle made ready a good dinner. The four ate together. Belle was excited, Kate happy and Laramie content. But for the old man it was somehow hard to fit in. Having had his say, he relapsed into grim silence and taciturn responses. Even his presence would have repressed Bill, but for Kate's happy laugh. She looked at her father, talked to him, thought of him, studied him, and throwing off lingering doubts, for she never felt she quite knew her father, enjoyed him, eating as he was in peace with her husband, to be. When Laramie's cigars were lighted after the dinner, Barb seemed to feel more at his ease. He told stories of his old railroad days and laughed when Kate and Belle and Laramie laughed. Later, his daughter and his new son-in-law walked up street with him. They went with him on his errands and then to the barn. McAlpin personally hitched up the ponies, both in compliment to a new customer and to hear every word that passed in the talk. "'Damn me,' he muttered to the hostler in the harness room. "'You can't get around old Barb. Look at him. What do I mean? Don't he fight Laramie five years and get licked? Now he turns him into his son-in-law and gets the fallen wall range anyway. Can you beat it? "'Coming right along, sir,' he shouted, as Barb in the gangway bellowed for more speed. And with a flutter of activity real and feigned, McAlpin and his helper fastened the traces. When ready, the wiry team and the long, narrow buckboard looked small for Barb, who cautiously clambered into the seat and gingerly distributed his bulk upon it. Laramie had taken the reins from McAlpin, he passed them to Barb, who, as he squared himself so as not to fall off his slender perch, was huskily demanding when Laramie and Kate would be out. At the last minute, Kate insisted on and was given a goodbye kiss. She and Jim promised to go out next day. Barb spoke to the horses. They jumped halfway out of the barn. Kate with Laramie following, hurried forward to see her father drive away. The broad back topped by the powerful shoulders and neck and the big hat bobbing up and down with the spring of the buckboard, the little team plunging at their bits, and her father heedless of their antics, all this was a familiar sight, but never had it been so pleasing. The setting sun touched with gold the thin cloud of dust that rose from the wheels. It was the close of a beautiful day, and it had been next to the happiest in her life, Kate thought, while she stood watching and thinking. The ponies, reaching a turn in the road, dashed ahead, and her father disappeared. End of chapter 39